Church in Huntington Beach, California, and we have the privilege of having him here because he comes here on vacation with his family, with his wife and his two kids, and uh, so we're very lucky to have him here. At, he is a pastor at uh, Huntington Beach, but he also serves as a chaplain with uh, the police there as well to reach out into people's lives who are really hurting uh, with care and compassion and the love of Jesus. He also serves on the ministry board for the LCMC and has been instrumental in creating a program that helps pastors who are in distress and helping them to come to a place of healing and restoration as well. So he has literally helped thousands of people uh, in that, uh, that gift that he has given as well. We're very glad to have him with us. He, uh, in his undergrad, he uh, has a graduate degree in uh, organizational leadership, right? Wow, you yes. know more about me than I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, did his seminary work at Pasadena, California at Fuller, and then his uh, Luther work at Luther Seminary here in St. Paul. And so I'd like to invite you to please join me in praying for him as he brings the word today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of Pastor Jeremy King. We thank you for bringing him to us today to share your word and to share your heart that you show us, Lord, through the book of Obadiah and also through your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would anoint his words by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would speak through him to each one of our hearts, that we would hear and receive what you want to say to us today. Lord, we pray that you would bless your servant, Jeremy, in this time and bless us in the hearing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's welcome Jeremy. I got to complete my collection. Oh, yeah. Actually, the one thing I asked for when they told me they were doing like the, these prophets, I was like, could I have like a complete signed set? Of, and they said, well, you have to be here at every one. I was like, ah, oh, darn it. A few years ago, I made a deal with Steve Turnbull, a friend of mine. You might know him. Um, I said, look, every time I'm in Minnesota on vacation, I'll swing by Community of Grace, and it was called First Lutheran at that time, and uh, I'll preach for you if when you're in California, you'll swing by Radiant and preach for me. I, I think it'd be great for our churches to you know, get a different flavor. And Steve and I have been friends for a while, and, and we'd actually been working together on um, some presentations for the leadership gathering where we team teach. Uh, Steve and I are very different in certain ways and very similar of one heart. And Steve said, sure, I'll make that deal with you. Little did I know that he doesn't really go to California that much. <laughs> so I'm, I'm now up on Steve like three to one. And the, the last few years I've been able to come, except for last year, I was in Norway with a family trip and speaking at a conference there. And I wasn't able to be here, but I know Community of Grace from every July 4th kind of weekend. So it's kind of a weird weekend to get to know you, but um, it's been a joy for me to come out to Minnesota and to do a little bit of teaching with you guys and to enjoy the color green that you have. That's a beautiful color that I don't have. Um, but you also have winter, so it's kind of a trade. And, uh, and to you know, sit on the lake and go fishing and, and just spend some time breathing. And when I signed up for this teaching time, it was just at the beginning of the transition period, and so a little bit more somber note. And so I reached out to Angie, and I said, okay, well, uh, talk to me about what, what I'm going to be teaching on. And she said, well, the theme is when God speaks. I was like, great. I love it when God speaks. And by the way, you have the prophet Obadiah. 
I was like, oh man, can't you give me someone like fun, like, you know, Amos or something like that? And she's like, no, Mike Bradley has that the week before you. So I call up Mike. I'm like, Mike, why'd you take Amos from me? Like, Amos is at least fun, right? I get Obadiah, the angry prophet. I said, that's okay, Mike. I'll, I'll just fix whatever you break while you're there. <laughs> you see, uh, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Hebrew scripture, but it's also really powerful because uh, God has a lot to say. He has a lot to say in a small amount of words. And for me, it's easy to say, God, speak to me when I want to hear what he has to say, when I'm excited, when it's positive. Um, but when God has something hard to say, that's a challenge, isn't it? And as we look through the scriptures, we believe about the Bible that it is God's word. We believe about the Bible that um, in everything, it tells us who God is and who we are in light of that. And the Bible paints this picture for us uh, of, of this relational connection between us and God, both good and bad. And the scripture is not afraid of getting messy. It's not afraid of painting an honest picture of who we are. And that's what actually makes the picture of God it paints all the more beautiful is because, you see, this grace is this radical idea that none of us deserve anything. That at the core of who we are, we're, we're, uh, the way the Bible says it is like, look at my heart, test it, see where it's twisted in any way. That the human heart is twisted and sick above all things. And that isn't just for us as individuals, it's for us as peoples. And when God has to say that to us, like, I'm all for hearing God say, beloved, I love you, and you're blessed, and, you know, all these good things. But then when he says, hey, by the way, your heart is sick and twisted and sick above all things, I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear that. But you see, that's the message of Obadiah. It's a, a call to remember. You see, uh, I teach here at the Master's Institute Seminary that you guys generously house. And I teach uh, Lutheran confessional theology. And in those classes, I teach that the Bible contains two ideas that kind of pull each other. One is called law, and one is called gospel or promise. And that everything in the Bible is centered on Christ, and it has these two components. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to apply. I'm a seminary professor. I can do this. And so I'm applying my, you know, thinking cap to Obadiah, and all I see is law, law, law. And then I read it deeper. I'm like, oh, man, I'm a jerk. I'm just like Edom. I mean, listen, you know, listen to the words. Listen to the words of Obadiah. He says this in verse 3. He says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground, though you soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Ooh, talk about eating humble pie. But you see, I mean, when we hear just the words of Obadiah, it doesn't really make sense, because why, why would God declare this judgment? Why would God say, hey, your nation is not going to exist anymore until we realize the story, the story that's behind it? And it's a story that's repeated again and again in both the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures because it's the story of all of us. It's the story of humanity. And that's this. Once there were two brothers. You know, one was named Jacob and one was named Esau. 
Esau roughly means Harry all over. Which, can you imagine if we named our kids the way they named them in the Bible? Like, Harry all, your name is Harry all over. And Jacob, you, your name is Liar, Heel Catcher. You have Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, uh, there was a prophecy over their lives, and it was that the older would serve the younger. And so we, uh, some of us grew up with the story, but in case you didn't, the story goes something like this. That Jacob, as they grow to be men, uh, Esau is a man of the field, which I kind of relate with. I, I come to Minnesota in two seasons. I come for fishing, I come for hunting, uh, and go up north. And so I get that, and, you know. And Jacob was a quieter man, a man of the tents. And Jacob, uh, he s- uh, steals, basically, swindles his brother in his birthright. Uh, tricks him into giving up his portion of the inheritance. And then later, because of his mother kind of helping out, they, they trick their father and take his blessing as well. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I have to look all the way back to like Jacob and Esau to find trouble in my family line. Do you? And sibling, and how many of you here have siblings? Right? Now, I'm, I'm guessing most of us haven't had a sibling literally try to kill us, but maybe we've thought about it from time to time. You know, when we think about this story, Esau gets, is infuriated and he wants to kill Jacob. It says that he sought to kill his brother. And Jacob has to get out of town. And so Jacob and, and Esau have children. And children and children and children. And they begin to, can you imagine Esau telling his side of the story at the fire. You know, let me tell you about your uncle Jacob. What a jerk. And he tells that story. And his kids tell their kids. And it's funny, later in life, Jacob and Esau have this amazing reunion where they actually come back together. They hug each other and both Jacob and Esau are weeping and they have this healing moment. But the damage has already been done. The story has already been told. Yeah, I'm married to a marriage and family therapist, and so I get to, like, hear all sorts of really cool brain statistics. You know, we'll be driving somewhere, like, um, and I'm ready to hit play on, like, Coldplay or, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and Michelle will be like, hey, I was thinking we could listen to this, this CD series by Daniel Siegel, and it's called The Whole Brain Child. Let's listen to it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but I was listening to one of these as we are driving along, and the way that our brains are wired is that when we retell a story, when we retell a story, if we do that from a position of being hurt, we actually solidify those neural pathways, the way that our brain is wired, we hardwire our brain into bitterness and into pain. And in fact, we relive the injury. That injury that was done to us when we call up so-and-so and tell me, I can't, can you believe what so-and-so did to me? We actually re-injure ourselves. But... If we tell that story and process that story from the position of forgiveness, same story. It actually heals our brain. In fact, did you know that the way that you think can actually change the the physical mapping of your mind? And that's powerful stuff. The Bible talks a lot about like generational curses and blessings. And this is the generational curse that we hand down the, the pain and the suffering through how we tell our stories or how we live our lives. And one of my prayers is, Lord, let my children need less therapy than I did. You know, that, that I might pass to them a process story, a story that's full of grace and truth. 
But Edom, he tells the story in a different way. And Israel goes, uh, they, become, they become a people, but they become a people in bondage, 400 years of bondage. And all throughout that time, Edom is setting up a kingdom. They have a king, they're, they're prospering. And so it seems like, ah, oh, that prophecy, that's so not true. We are way better than our brother Jacob. We are way better than Israel. But then Exodus happens, and the people come out. And they're wandering in the wilderness. And in Numbers chapter 20, you can read it if you are really excited for reading later. Uh, Numbers chapter 20, they come to the country of Edom. And they say, hey, can we pass through? Brother Edom, can we pass through your country? What do you think Edom said? No, absolutely not. I know all of you right now, you're thinking that family member that you would say no to right now. No. No. And Israel responds, hey, we will take the high road. We won't touch anything in your country. We won't, we won't take a sip of water. We'll go straight through. And the, the, the king of Edom sends back, nope, not only that, I'm going to bring out my army just to make sure you don't cross our borders. And so he sends out the army. And so what does Israel do? Well, they go around. They go around. In some peoples, they battle, but with this one, they didn't. And there's this little passage. So later on in Moses' life, as he's giving kind of his last Um, messages to them. In Deuteronomy 23, he says, do not abhor, do not hate your brother Edom, for he is your brother. I think what a beautiful passage. And in fact, he makes way for them within three generations to worship in the tabernacle with the people of Israel. And that's a powerful statement of, of kind of retelling that story, of retelling that story in a different way. Oh, I wish that they would have listened to him. But how many times do we give up on good advice? (laughs) If you look at Israel's history, they get good advice all the time. They just don't take any of it. And so then you have a king, Samuel, and King Samuel, what does he do the first chance he gets? Let's go fight with Edom and take all their stuff. King David, in the same vein. In his story, he goes in and he kills most of the men of Edom in, in war, and then he sets up garrisons there and basically takes over. And so now Edom is like a vassal state, a servant of Israel. So now the prophecy comes true, but in the worst possible way. And they remember, they remember, and so three, four generations later, they revolt when, when Israel's weak. Do we see this pattern playing out? I mean, think about it. Cain and Abel, Jacob Esau, Joseph and his brothers, Judas and the other disciples, we see this pattern again and again. And when we look to our own heart, here's the law, that, that we see that same thing, that we will choose ourselves again and again and again. And we'll choose bitterness over health and healing at times. And so this story goes on until all of, Edom is, uh, all of Israel is wiped out by the Babylonians. And listen to the, the judgment against Edom, their brother. Verse 12. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people on the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. 
The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, so it will be done to you. Your deeds will return on your own head. You know, when God pronounces judgment, a lot of times we're thinking like, oh, he's going to do something horrible. But really, God is just saying, hey, this is the natural consequence of what you choose. You know, the world, they call it like karma. You know, people, especially in California, we're the land of fruits and nuts, right? <laughs> like people talk about karma all the time, you know? I love that you 2 one of my favorite bands, has this line. It says, grace travels outside of karma. You see, the, what, the, what, what the world calls karma, the Bible calls reaping and sowing. You will reap what you sow. Yeah, um, Jesus had the same thought when he spoke to Peter. Peter's going to defend him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter takes out this sword to defend Jesus, cuts off the servant's ear, and Jesus says to Peter, Stop! Those who live by the sword will... Didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? There it is. We will reap what we sow. But in the words of the famous theologian Bono, <laughs> grace travels outside of karma. You see, into this system comes Jesus. And this is how Jesus teaches about this whole idea of our enemies. Whether they be from our family or from afar. Because we live in an us-them world, don't we? You know, I mean, you guys have it pretty easy. You have an easy us-them. Ready? Minnesota Vikings versus... The Green Bay Packers, right? Now, I, I can talk about this because my mom was raised in Minnesota, so I am by birth a Vikings fan. And so I'm used to disappointment. <laughs> and every year we go into the Viking season, we're like, yeah, Vi we get the shirts and stuff like that. But by the end of the season, it's like, oh, do I even want to watch the game today? I don't know. You know, we are programmed by our world to think in us-them mentality. And to that, Jesus says, no, 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 it's only us, us, all of humanity. And so this is how he frames it in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, starting at verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The, uh, the command to love neighbor, by the way, is consistent throughout the whole of Hebrew scripture, all over the, the Torah. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That's interesting to me because now Jesus is connecting this capacity to love an enemy to the capacity to be a son of the Father. Now, for those of us who think in terms of law, 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 it's like, uh-oh, here's a rule of Jesus, and I break it, and so I'm busted. But don't think in terms of rule. Think in terms of ability. That the, the ability to love the enemy is connected to our ability to be sons of the Father. And if we take John seriously, the Gospel of John, it says he who trusts in the name is given the right to become children of God. You see, it's connected to our, our relationship with Jesus, a supernatural capacity to love enemy. And even as I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking about like events in my own life, and I was thinking about like, one time I was hunting with a relative, and this relative uh, had kind of made some statements that were pretty offensive to my friends who I'd had with. And I was like, fine, I'm leaving. You know, I'm taking my ball and going home. And, um, and my friends went up to this person and said, thank you so much for your time, sir. 
I was like, ah, oh, and I'm their pastor. I look like such a jerk. But I realized it's this supernatural ability to look past fault and to see uh, someone for whom Jesus died and to ascribe unsurpassable worth. And that's what Edom needed. That's what Israel needed, this pattern of violence and hatred. And it's still true today in, in all of our lives, in our culture. And so Jesus goes on to say, look, uh, he, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And then there's this statement, depending on your translation, it says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then I'm like, oh, that's it. I can't do it. I give up. Yeah, but that word for perfect is teleoi. It means um, be mature or complete, be whole. Be whole as my Father in heaven is whole. And remember, if we think about this from like la, 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 rule, 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 it's like, oh, this is another thing that I have to do. But if we think about this from the lens of Jesus, it's what he does in us and through us. You see, the work is not yours. It's God's. As we trust Jesus, as we embrace him, as the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, he begins to shape us and he begins to break those generational patterns of looking at people with the us-them mentality. He begins to break the curse that we experience and give us the blessing, and the blessing is freedom. You know, a few years ago, I didn't need glasses till a few years ago. And um, I was, actually I was hunting, and um, I kept borrowing people's binoculars, and I'm like, your, your binoculars are broken. Like, what's wrong with the right eye of your binocular? Let me try yours. And this is how dumb I am, right? I go through like three pairs of binoculars, and I realize, wait a minute, it's my eyes. And so I went and got my eyes checked, and I realized that in my right eye, I have an astigmatism. So it means that I need glasses to see clearly. As we become followers of Jesus, he gives us lenses to see the world from our new self and not our old self. And when we do that, it looks completely different. This is how John writes it in his letter. John, 1 John chapter 2. Now, this is John's one of Jesus' disciples, and he becomes a pastor himself. And later in life, he's actually having trouble in his church over a split. And this is what he says to them in a letter. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So is there an us or them there? No, only us, us. Right? For God so loved the world, cosmos, right? Everyone. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commanded is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete, whole in him. Guess what that word is? Same word. Is made whole in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, 
I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. Remember how we talked about this old command to love the neighbor? Same, same concept. This old command is a message to you that you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And here's the, here it is. Here's the, if you want to circle something in your Bible, this is it. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. You see, the byproduct of being close to Jesus, the byproduct of him giving you a new life, is this supernatural ability to love. Uh, John 34, uh, 13, 34, he says, a new command I give you. He just washed his disciples' feet. A new command I give you, love one another. Well, that's not a new command. All throughout the Hebrew scripture. As I have loved you. Oh, that's a different thing. That's new. This cross-shaped self-sacrificial love. It requires us to put down our us-them glasses and put on an us-us set of glasses where we look at the whole world through Christ's love. And there's this church down south and they did this whole project about this that they put into a video and it looks something like this.
When you began this journey, Steve articulated this um, um, imagination, imagination of the Bible. This imagination where the world, uh, where, where we were weird in all the right kind of ways. Uh, Peter in the Bible puts it this way, that we are, you are a peculiar people. That we are different in all the right kinds of ways. You see, this is how God has chosen to change the world. And, you know, a lot of times I wish God would consult me on the ways that he does things. Um, but he doesn't, surprisingly. And I look at the scripture and I'm like, wait, you, you chose, like, these people, like, to change the world? And there's so, more, uh, so many more efficient ways to change the world. But God so loved the world that he came as one of us. And he touches each of us, person to person, soul to soul. And as we are a new creation, then we, we live as new creations. And man, we're going to trip, we're going to fall down, and we're going to make mistakes. But God's going to pick us up and dust us off and say, hey, let's go again. The question for you and I is who in our lives is on the other side of that picture? You saw the pictures rotating back and forth? And that's the person that we're supposed to embrace and have conversation with. To love as Jesus loved, to serve as Jesus served, because God has chosen for you and me to be his hands and feet. This is how we break the cycle of Edom and Israel. This is how we break the cycle of Cain and Abel. This is how we break the cycle of Joseph and his brothers, of Judas and the disciples of me and my crazy uncle so-and-so who I was not kind to. This is how we break that cycle. Christ in us. The Bible tends to repeat things that it thinks are really important. It says love one another like about 30 times in the Hebrew scriptures. Again and again and again. And it gives us the supernatural capacity to do that through being made new in Christ Jesus. If you need a fresh start with Jesus today, there's a ton of people in this church that will pray for you, that will be with you. If you've been carrying a burden uh, for, for someone who's wronged you, there's a ton of people in this congregation, your pastors who shepherd this community well, who will help you reprocess that in your life so that you can see it through the lenses of grace. And there's a whole world out there who needs you at your work, at your neighborhood, in your school, that needs you to be Jesus' hands and feet to them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you speak. I think you speak to us daily through your scripture and through your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us be your voice in this world, a voice of ascribing unsurpassable worth to every human. And Lord, teach us from the story of Obadiah, teach us from Edom and Israel, and show us where 
where they got it wrong, you have given us the ability to get it right. Help us to shine with your grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Community of Grace, thank you for letting me share the word with you today. Can we thank Pastor Jeremy?